Good morning. You guys doing okay? Everybody good? Good. All right. Uh, thank you guys for being here. We are continuing to work through 1 Samuel. I know we're only in chapter 3 today. I hope you guys are enjoying it so far. Well, if you're not, if you're not we got 27 chapters left to go, so... Uh, <laughs> Hope you guys are digging it. So we've been slowly working through this chapter by chapter. And, and if you haven't been here, in chapter one of 1 Samuel, we meet Hannah. Hannah is a woman who cannot have children. She becomes uh, desperate, depressed, anxious, kind of overwhelmed by life, cries out to God and says, God, if you'll just give me a son, I will dedicate him back to you. I'll give him back to you. And, and so she gets pregnant, has a boy, names him Samuel. And, and literally, when a kid is three years old, literally gives the son to the work of the ministry, takes the boy to, a, to an area called Shiloh, which is in kind of northeastern Israel, and, and gives the boy to a priest named Eli to work in the temple for the people and obviously for, for God his entire life. Uh, that's chapter one. Chapter two, we see this contrast. We, we kind of see now there's, there's this split that happens in chapter two, where we see the contrast of Samuel, who is still a boy, but he is, he is growing in his relationship with God. He's maturing very quickly. He's growing in wisdom very quickly. We see this path, right? And on the other hand, we have the sons of Eli, who are also priests, but they are, as the Bible says, very wicked men, very evil men. They steal from the sacrifices that are brought to the church. They're having sex with women in the temple, volunteers, in the temple, um, they're living for themselves. The Bible says they didn't respect God. They had, they had no fear of God. They knew God. They knew who God was. They even knew how they were to live for God, uh, but they were not repentant of their selfishness and, in the, in, and of their evil. So we see these two paths. And what happens in chapter two is a prophet comes to Eli and gives him some, some really unfortunate news and says God is going to basically, uh, essentially strike down his family. Um, and, and his sons are going to die violently and other people in his family are gonna die violently. Some pretty tough news there. And then we are now getting into chapter three, which is very, very short. Very short, we'll get through it really quick today. It's, it's not a very long chapter at all. And, and what happens in chapter three is Samuel is going to be officially called by God, called to be a prophet. Now here's the thing about calling and we'll talk a lot about calling today and, and are we even positioned to listen to our calling. And, and when we talk about calling, so, so God calls every single one of us. There's a lot of people in this room this morning. There's you know 1,600 people or so in this room right now. All of us in this room are called in two ways by God. First, we're called to be saved. That doesn't mean that everyone will respond to that call, but the Bible says that it is not God's desire that any perish, that any go to hell. So I, I have to believe if it's not God's desire that any of us in this room go to hell, I believe all of us are invited, we are called, to be saved by Christ, right? All of us are called to do that. Not only are we all called to be saved, called to salvation, we are also called to have a specific role in, in this world, in this life, in society. And, and again, our roles can be different. It doesn't have to be a, a, you know, teaching or, or working in a church. If, it, if that is the case, that's fantastic. Um, but your role may be to, to be a stay-at-home mom, and that God may call you to be that stay-at-home mom or call you to be a manager or a teacher or in law enforcement or, or whatever your role may be. And when God calls us to those roles, he, he empowers us, he equips us to fulfill those roles in a way that honors him and, and blesses other people. So we're all called, and we're called in two ways, to salvation and, and to whatever our role is. Here's the question we're gonna focus on, though. Are we even positioned to hear that call? Have we positioned ourselves to, to hear the voice of God, to listen to the voice of God, and to respond? That's the question we're gonna focus on, okay? All right, so glad you guys are here this morning. The weather pretty nice when you walked in? It's supposed to be in the 90s today. Good stuff, right? Does anyone else just go home after church and just like stand outside and sweat and just be thankful for it? That's just me, okay. Glad you guys are here. That was weird, wasn't it? Shouldn't have said that. Glad you guys are here this morning. You should have got a notes handout. Everything will be in there. Everything will be on the screen. If you have a Bible, we're in the Old Testament, the ninth book of it, the third chapter. If you have a smartphone, so anyone over the age of about six, uh, if you just click on sermon notes on the Experience Community app, everything's right there for you. All right? Glad you guys are here this morning. I hope you enjoy this chapter. It's interesting. 
we'll cut it up into very, very small kind of digestible bites and, and we'll talk about it. But before that, let me, uh, let me pray for you guys. Again, glad you guys are here. Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you so much. Thank you for everyone in this room this morning. Thank you, God, that people uh, make it a priority to be here. That they take some time out of their weekend and they show up and, and dedicate that to you, Lord. Thank you. I pray that you bless everyone, God, be, be because of that, Lord. Just keep your hand on our church. We pray not just for our church, though, Father. We pray for every church in our city. Pray for um, our other campuses, the churches in those cities, Lord. We pray, God, for the non-believers in our cities, Lord, that, that we can be a light and hopefully they can come to know you, God. Um, Father, we pray today as we study your word that our, our proximity to you gets closer, that we are able to listen to you and respond to you and hear you, God, and obey you, Lord. We love you and we thank you and we pray that we honor you today with our study and, and our worship. And um, we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, small chunks. It's gonna be interesting. Uh, very interesting chapter, okay? This is what it says. The boy Samuel served the Lord in Eli's presence. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare and prophetic visions were not widespread. One day, Eli, whose eyesight was failing, was lying in his usual place. Before the lamp of God had gone out, Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was located. Okay, so the first thing we see here that's a little interesting is it says that the word of God was rare in those days. It was not widespread. What that means is God was not speaking to humanity very much before Samuel's call. There weren't a lot of prophets. There wasn't a lot of clarity from God on how they were supposed to do things. Now, when you read that, you're like, well, wait a second. If God loves us so much and he wants us to do the right thing, why in the heck isn't he talking to us? Well, we're seeing the same problem in the United States today. We're seeing the same thing. What's happening is the children of Israel, the people of Israel, it's not that God didn't want to talk to them. It's not that God didn't want to share information with them and tell them how to do things. The Israelites were living selfishly and they were living in rebellion to God, which is in essence saying, you're not invited into the conversation. We're gonna talk about that a lot today. And that's what's going on in, in the Western world right now. Um, we don't often hear the things of God or see the fruit of the Spirit of God because we have asked God to, to not step into our lives too much, right? Only when it's convenient for us, only when we need something, but we are not living in relationship with Him. And when we are living in rebellion to God, we cannot expect God's presence to be near us all the time. This is simple, right? It's pretty logical, easy stuff. So the Israelites were living for themselves, not God, and so God eventually started to give them over to their lusts. And then we're gonna see in the next couple of chapters, he gives them over to their enemies because they have asked him not to be a part in their lives. They wanna keep their lives in their own hands. So God's like, okay, I'll step out of the equation. And then we see the ramifications of not having God in society. So here's the thing, guys. Personal sin leads to societal breakdown. There's 16, I'm guessing roughly, there's 1,700 something chairs in here and most of them are full. So I'm guessing 1,600 people in this room right now. So, so there's 1,600 of us in this room. And let's say we all decide right now that we're no longer going to live for God or we're going to live for ourselves. We're gonna do whatever we wanna do. We're gonna live however we want. So if we do that, we're gonna leave this place and we're gonna go back and we're gonna go to our families, we're gonna go to our jobs, we're gonna drive around this town, we're gonna go to coffee shops and grocery stores and we're gonna do things out in the world. And if we are living for self and not for God, that doesn't just affect us, that affects people around us. And society starts to break down because the sin of individuals keeps them from hearing God. And then the sin of a society, unrepented sin, keeps society from feeling the effects of God. And that brings everyone down. You know what's interesting, this first part? God essentially gives us what we want. At the end of our life, we are going to go to, to one of two places. We're either gonna go to an eternity with God or an eternity separated, completely devoid of God. And so at the end of our lives, what God gives us is he hands us over to what we've always wanted. If we live a life that says, I don't want you in my life, at the end of this life, God goes, okay, for eternity, I'm not gonna bother you. I'll be completely separated from you. That's what hell is going to be. 
But if we've lived a life that says, I want you apart, I want, I, want, I want you in the conversation, I want to follow you, I want to submit to you, well, at the end of our life, we are honored with that. We get what we want. We get an eternity in the presence of God, literally in the presence of God. But when we fail individually to address sin, society as a whole starts to break down. Again, you are seeing it right now in the United States. So the reference to Eli's eyesight failing was a little bit more than just the fact that he was getting old and his eyes, his literal eyes were starting to fail. The, the author was probably also alluding to the fact that Eli's spiritual eyes were failing. And that's because of his proximity to God. Now, on the other hand, look at Samuel. Where was Samuel sleeping? Samuel was sleeping in the same room of the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of God. Now, I'm not gonna go into detail about the Ark. We'll do that in the next lesson because the next two chapters are really about the, the, the Ark. But for, for the sake of our conversation this morning, the Ark of God represents the presence of God. So what Samuel was doing is he was strategically placing himself in a situation to where he would encounter God. What that means is this, regardless of what stage of your spiritual evolution you're in right now, whether you're in this room right now and, and you don't believe at all, but you are digging, you are searching, you are looking, or if you're in this room and you've been a believer for 50 years, but you are continuing because we never arrive until we go to heaven, that we are continuing to find deeper and deeper answers and explanations. Regardless of where we are in that road, if we will just diligently search, if we will position ourselves to find God, Jesus even says in the Gospel of Matthew, we will find God. We will have an encounter with God, but we have to intentionally put ourselves in the position to have that encounter, right? Pretty clear stuff. We're gonna, I'm, I'm gonna be, I say this a lot, but I'm gonna be very anticlimactic today. Easy, digestible, simple stuff, okay? Let's get to the next part. Then the Lord called Samuel and he answered, here I am. He ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me? I didn't call, Eli replied, go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Once again, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up, went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me? I didn't call my son, he replied, go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not know the Lord because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Once again, for the third time, the Lord called Samuel. He got up, went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. Then Eli understood that the Lord was calling the boy. He told Samuel, go and lie down. If he calls you again, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came, stood there, and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel responded, speak, for your servant is listening. Important stuff here. So the first thing we have to notice is this. Samuel's parents were the ones responsible for placing Samuel in an environment where he could encounter God. Parents? It is not the public school system. It is not the public school system's place to dictate the actions and behaviors of your children. Listen, hold on, I'm gonna go further. It is not the church's place to ultimately teach your children theology. It is our, I'm a parent. It is our duty as a parent, right? If my kids run wild and don't know the truth and act like fools and do foolish things, it's not their teacher's fault. It's not their Sunday school leader's fault. It is me. I'm the one ultimately responsible for that. So we are called as parents, if you're a parent in here, to place our children in, a, in an environment where they can have the opportunity to encounter God. Now listen, I have two daughters, 14-year-old and an 11-year-old, and my 14-year-old sits in here at seven o'clock and, and listens to me, which is kind of neat. But, but here's the thing. I am to place my daughters in a position to where they can encounter God, but if they encounter God, ultimately is actually up to them. So when they're under my care, and that goes for all of us, listen, um, you can blame shift all you want, it's everyone else's fault, right? But at the end of the day, we are personally responsible for our walk with God. 
So what we learn is this, growing towards God starts not, not, in, not in the church, it starts before the church. Growing towards God starts at the home. I only got you guys for an hour and a half. The rest of your week, you're kind of on your own to build your relationship with the Lord. And so, so listen, the church can be a supplement in helping your kids understand more about Christ. We can be a supplement. I can, I'm just a supplement for helping you in your personal relationship with Jesus. But ultimately, it is up to the individual. It is up to the individual. The church is a supplement, okay? But, but Samuel's parents strategically placed him in a position to where he could hear God. Now, if he, if he responded or not, that, that, that's up to him. So look at this. The verb call is used about 11 times, unless I miscounted, in these, these verses that I just read. And at first, Samuel is confused. Eli's probably getting annoyed a little bit, right? Hey, did you call me? Nope, go to bed. You know, several times he's confused as to who is calling him. That's because he, he, he wasn't, it hadn't been completely revealed to him yet. The, the word of God, God hadn't completely taken root in his heart yet. The greater point though is this, is that Samuel had a desire to respond. He had a desire he was positioned to hear God and, and he had a desire to be in the presence of God. That is the big thing that we learn from this section. So we ask ourselves, because it's kind of the whole thesis of what we're talking about today. Practically, how do we position ourselves to hear God? Well, the first thing that is, that is worth taking note of is that Samuel was at church. Well, Corey, I never hear the word of God. L listen, I, or I, you know, people say, well, I've never heard God speak. If you come to this church every single weekend when I get up here and read this book to you, you're hearing God speak to you. This is the word of God. But listen, if we're never at church, if church is not a priority, we're not, we're not always gonna hear that. Um, he was also around other mature believers. A good place to find other mature believers is at church. And his distractions were limited. It probably would have, it probably would have been impossible for Samuel to hear God if he was sitting in that room, but he had YouTube on, Facebook on, his iPods in, listening to somebody and then doing all these things, he probably wouldn't have been able to pick up on the frequency of God's voice. But he had his distractions limited. On top of that, we have to make the pursuit of truth a priority in our life. We have to want to know the bigger answers. We have to ask the bigger questions. And as we pursue those truths, we have to have an open mind and we have to have an open heart. We don't, we don't approach the truth with subjectivity, which means I've already concocted an answer before I even ask the question. We have to have an open mind and we have to set aside time to listen. And again, if you wanna hear God speak to you, the easiest way to hear the voice of God is to prioritize time in your life to just read the word. I believe God speaks to us in many ways, but this is probably the most clear, direct way, the Bible. And if we would just set aside, these are ways we position ourselves to hear God. So after the third time that, 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 that Samuel and then Eli are, are woken up, Eli understood that, that this was God. God is calling Samuel. So he says, Samuel, if you hear God's voice again, just simply say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Now that blue sentence up there, that is a very simple sentence, but a, but a monumental sentence. This is how we answer the call of God. This is the only way we can answer the call of God. Just like Samuel, Samuel understood that God was the Lord. We use that term a lot in christian circles. We, we say Lord. Lord is actually a very, very important word. And some of us maybe shouldn't use that word because we don't mean it. Lord means that we understand that God is the boss. He is the master. He is the, he is the one that holds it all in his hands. We are the servant. He is the Lord. We are the servant. And the only way to answer the call of God is full submission to the master. It is us saying, you know what's best. I don't know what's best. I'm gonna submit myself to the fact that you are all knowing, you are all powerful, you are good. Speak, Lord, talk to me, Lord. Talk to me, boss. Talk to me, master. Because I'm, I'm just a humble servant. And if we will approach with that humility, God will start to lead us. God will start to direct us. 
And it says that when he did that, it says that, that, that God was standing there. Now, I've read several commentaries on this and no one knows for sure if this means literally or, or not. If we take it as literal that God was standing in the room, if you take other parts of the Bible into account, it couldn't have been God in his full expression. Because if you've ever read the story about Moses, God says, Moses, what do you want? And Moses says, I just want to see you. And God's like, oh, that's problematic because you, know, you, you would die. Um, it's too much for mankind to look at God in his fullness. So that's when Moses just saw God's back as he was walking away. And even that permanently changed the, the, the continents uh, of, 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 um, of, of Moses. And so the lesson is simply this though whether it was God there in some kind of a theophany, some kind of, um, um, some kind of uh, example of who he is, or, or if it was the fullness of God, but maybe Samuel couldn't look, whatever, we don't know. What we do know is that God is personal. That was God in that room, one-on-one -on -one with Samuel, talking with him. And, and this was God showing him, like, like, look, this is a personal call. This is a personal relationship. And God is not some distant cosmic God. God is a personal God to those who have a desire to answer that call, to respond to that. So the Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do something in Israel that will cause everyone who hears about it to shudder. On that day, I will carry out against Eli everything I said about his family from beginning to end. I told him that I'm going to judge his family forever because of the iniquity he knows about. His sons are cursing God and he has not stopped them. Therefore, I have sworn to Eli's family, the iniquity of Eli's family will never be wiped out either by sacrifice or by offering. Samuel lay down until the, until the morning, then he opened the doors of the Lord's house. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son, here I am, answered Samuel. What was the message he gave you? Eli asked. Don't hide it from me. May God punish you and do so severely if you hide anything from me that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and did not hide anything from him. Eli responded, look at this response. He is the Lord, let him do what he thinks is good. It's a pretty mature response from a guy who just heard for the second time that his family is going to be destroyed. So in chapter two, an unnamed prophet comes to Eli and gives Eli some, some pretty awful news, right? Your sons are going to violently die. Your descendants are going to have their, their, their authority and their place taken from them. You're gonna have other descendants who are going to die untimely deaths. It's pretty bad news. And then Samuel, who is now becoming a prophet, gets the same message from God directly and goes and tells that to Eli. Now, here's the thing. This is important. The reason God was going to place harsh judgment on Eli's family was not because they made mistakes. It's not because they sinned. We're all gonna sin. God knows we're going to sin. We're going to make mistakes. It's not even because they did egregious sins, like had sex in the temple or stole from the offering. It's not even because of that. The problem wasn't that Eli's family committed sins. The problem is that they had no desire to repent for those sins. That's the difference. Listen, the word iniquity that is used several times in that passage does not mean just a, an occasional sin. That means a lifestyle of living in sin. That means that we understand that something is wrong, but we stopped caring about asking for God's forgiveness and stepping away from evil. I said this a couple of weeks ago. There are far too many quote unquote Christians who are making peace with their sin when the true Christian is to actually make war with their sin. We are to war against sin. And so the problem wasn't that they made mistakes. The problem is that they didn't care that they were making mistakes. We see this a lot in the Western world with Christianity. There are a lot of professing Christians, I would argue probably some in this room, who know what is right and wrong, but really have no fear of God's judgment. And in that lack of respect for God, unfortunately, they will face God's judgment. 
So this was, this is, I'm probably the most passionate about this slide. So what was said through Samuel to Eli is Samuel eventually tells Eli, look, your family has done all this and there's no amount of sacrifice that's going to change the outcome. In Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, we'll get there eventually, it says that God takes more pleasure in obedience than he does sacrifice. What does that mean? Sacrifice is occasional. Obedience is consistent and ongoing. What this means is God doesn't just want you occasionally. God wants you all the time. God wants a relationship with you. Your wife doesn't just want you for an hour and a half a week. That's what we give God typically. She wants you every day. And it's the same way that God is with us. And so what we tend to do is, man, guys, I'm just gonna, we're just gonna, I'm just gonna talk to you like a pastor this morning. What we tend to do is when we're feeling really benevolent, we give a sacrifice. When we get a little bit more in our bank account, when we get a bonus at the end of the year, when December rolls around, we say, I'm gonna be a good person because there's a lot of needy people in the world. So this month, I'm gonna help people. Listen, do you know that the work of the ministry needs to happen in April as well? Do you know that? Do you know, do you know that the church needs finances in September as well? Do you know that missionary stuff needs to happen all throughout the year? You know, it's not just December that the world needs benevolent people to step up to the plate. That occasional sacrifice. Now, listen, is it good that we do that? Sure, it's good. But that once every 12 month sacrifice is bull crap. And we are to consistently be living for the Lord, not just annually to make ourselves feel a little bit better. Did something good this year. Once every 12 months, I do something really good for society. That's not what God wants for us. The world is hurting all year long and God wants the consistency of the church. It's the same thing, not even with our money, with our time. You know, so, so not only when we're feeling benevolent, but when we need to be bailed out, God, I got to sacrifice. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to go to church every week. I'm going to give you an hour and a half of my week, God. And in this, you know, restore my marriage. Help me. Look at the sacrifice I'm making. But the thing is, again, if we treated our spouse the way we treat the Lord and give so little so seldomly, it's no wonder that we can't hear God. It's no wonder that we don't have a relationship. It's no wonder that we don't feel the ramifications, not the ramifications, but the, the blessings and the benefits of having a relationship with him. It's not just occasional sacrifice. It is consistent obedience on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, not just Sunday mornings for an hour and a half. That's not enough. That's not obedience. It has to be more than that. So what we learn is, what we learn is Eli is not an altogether bad person. Was he negligent of sin? Yes. Is he, is he gonna pay for that? Yes. But obviously he and Samuel loved each other because Samuel did not want to tell Eli the bad news. Man, I hope you guys hear me this morning. Samuel loved Eli and didn't want to share a word from God with him because he was afraid he would hurt his feelings. But what does Eli say? Come on, you got to tell me the truth. Look, look at what Eli says. God will punish you severely if you don't tell me the truth. You don't think it's changed for us? That if we know what's right and wrong and we fail to, te to tell people what is right and wrong who are going to face God's judgment? Do you see this? So tell me. And then, then Eli, see, Eli understood. Even though Eli had done some things wrong, he understood. In Jeremiah 1, it says that God gives authority to people to build up and to sometimes tear down. Jeremiah was a prophet and God said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, you have the authority from me to build people up and occasionally you have to tear people down. We have to do this too with people we love. Sometimes we build them up and sometimes we need to go, man, you're wrong. You need to be humbled. And this is a reminder to us that if we are talking to people who are going to experience the wrath of God, Man, again, guys, I'm sorry to talk so heavy in church, but, but like people need to hear this. If we are around people who are inevitably going to experience the wrath of God unless they hear the truth, if we love them, we need to share that truth, even if it hurts their feelings. Even, 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 if, even if they don't talk to us anymore. Why? It's for their good. It's for the collective good. It's for the greater good that people hear the truth. It is only by that truth 
that we are able to be set free, the word says. So Eli responds to the truth in, in a very kind of shocking way for the second time now, right? He's told that his family is going to be decimated. His sons are going to die violently. In the next couple of chapters, man, it gets pretty bizarre. It gets pretty crazy. But Eli's response to that is an affirmation of God's goodness. Isn't that crazy? Let him do what he needs to do. God's good. That's essentially what Eli says. That, that's an amazing thing to hear. And what essentially what Eli is doing is he is teaching Samuel an, an invaluable lesson that when you do things wrong, accept the consequences of your actions and just trust that God knows what he's doing. When we make mistakes, when we sin, when we fail, when we fall, okay, we own it, we own it, we own it. We own it. And we say, God, be merciful with me. So here's the thing. If God prefers our obedience over sacrifice, we know that. Further on in the Bible, we also understand and we learn from the Bible that mercy triumphs over judgment. If we will humble ourselves and be obedient to God, we will experience the mercy of God. Ultimately, we will experience the mercy of God, but we have to humble ourselves, okay? Last part. Samuel grew, the Lord was with him, and he fulfilled everything Samuel prophesied. All Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was a confirmed prophet of the Lord. Let me pause there before I read this last verse. There's a lot of people who listen to so-called prophets and people who speak prophecies. Even there's maybe some of you in this room who listen to people, maybe not even too far from, from where we're located right now, who say, quote unquote, prophetic things, but over time we learn that they're not true. They haven't come to fulfillment. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, it says that you will know a prophet is either real or false by if what they say actually comes to pass. It blows my mind that some people, again, maybe in this room, hear someone say crazy prophecies, maybe three, four years ago, maybe before an election happened, they would say crazy prophecies, and then these things never come to fulfillment, but yet they still follow those individuals. That's crazy to me. Because the Bible says that, that, that prophets have to be confirmed. How are they confirmed? By if what they say actually comes to pass. Okay. The Lord continued to appear in Shiloh because there he revealed himself to Samuel by his word. Okay. So this is very important. It said the Lord was with Samuel. Why? Because Samuel honored the Lord. This goes back to what we were saying earlier. Samuel didn't have to depend on his charisma. He didn't have to depend on his looks. He didn't have to depend on kind of like slick sales tactics to be successful. All Samuel knew to do was to depend on God, to listen to God and to obey God. And as he honored God, God honored him. And this goes back to what we said earlier. We cannot expect the presence of God if we are living in disobedience to God. When we live in disobedience to God, we are in essence saying, I just don't want you in my life. And then whenever the crap hits the fan, we go, God, where are you? And God goes, I'm back here because you told me to be. I'm not present because you told me not to be present. What an entitled culture we live in, correct? What an entitled society, what an entitled nation under God which is a joke. What an entitled society we have become that we think we can do whatever we want to do and then snap our fingers and expect God to come running like a lap dog. What is wrong with us? But this is how we treat him. We cannot expect the provision of God if we live in rebellion to God. We just can't. We cannot expect that. So Samuel was called, and look at this, he also didn't use his calling for his own personal gain. Samuel had the courage to, listen, to receive the word of God and deliver the word of God without manipulating it, bastardizing it, twisting it, and turning it to fit his agenda. He, he was humble enough to receive the word of God without omitting certain parts that might push people away. 
without, without changing things or omitting things that maybe contradicted his lifestyle or, 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 or said that he needed to change or correct certain things. He listened to the unadulterated word of God and he delivered the unadulterated word of God. Here's the thing. If you are in this room, regardless of what stage you are at in growing in your relationship with God, either, either searching or you've known for a long time, but you keep digging, if you read this book, you are inevitably going to come across something that tells you that you're doing something wrong. And we shouldn't be offended by that. Like if I'm reading a book on how to repair an engine on one of my cars and it says, well, you know, don't do this, it's wrong, it will make the engine not work. Oh, I can't believe it told me that. No, that's great, I'll fix that and my engine will run fine. It's the same thing with our soul, right? We don't need to be offended by that. We just need to trust that the creator of everything might know a little bit more than we do. Even if it contradicts how we feel. Because we have to understand as believers that even our feelings can be deceptive. Jeremiah says that, right? We have to understand that. And so here's the thing. If we will trust, if we will be humble, if we will listen, if we will obey, if we will trust him, God blesses us. I'm not talking about monetarily. I mean, he may bless you monetarily, but that's not what I'm talking about. Samuel had respect. He was a good leader. He was a prophet. He had a relationship with God because he humbled himself and he listened. And if we will submit to God, he'll, he'll, he'll bless us. He'll bless our family. He'll give us the tools we need. He will use us to do amazing things in this world. I said this at all the services, I'll say it to this one. God doesn't lead us somewhere just to let us fail. He will give us the tools. He will give us the ability that we need to succeed wherever we are called, but we have to trust him. And we can be instruments of God. We can be vessels. We can be tools for the creator to use to impact people's lives. That's what we can do. So the, the first thing is this, that we have to position ourselves to listen. This is now probably the third or fourth time that I have said something along these lines in this lesson, that as individuals and as a society, we will feel less and less of the blessings of God the more we distance ourselves as individuals and as a society from God. What do I mean by that? Have you, have you not noticed in the world today, especially in the United States, I'm picking on the U.S. because that's, that's where we live, if you didn't know that. So in the United States, have you not noticed the division? Have you not noticed the lack of self-control? Have you not noticed the anger and aggression and discontentment? Have you not noticed these things? Have you not noticed that we're not friendly people? We're very rude and entitled people. Have you noticed these things? If you haven't, I don't know where you've been, but that's where we are as a society. And listen, here's the thing. The further we move away from the spirit of God, the less we have the fruit of the spirit in ourselves and in society. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. And the further we get away from God, the, the, the less we experience those things because those things are a result of having a relationship with God. It's not just by chance that we're a more violent, aggressive culture. Tennessee, I think number two or three of all 50 states in violent crime. It's not an accident that these things are happening. It's because the more we gravitate away from God, the more we become the opposite of the fruit that he wants us to produce. This is logic 101. And so we have to be honest, you and I, and ask ourselves, are we self-centered? Is Corey self-centered? We have to ask ourselves, am I only pursuing what I want or am I consulting with God and saying, Lord, you're the master. I'm the servant. What do you want? Whose standards by which do, do, do we judge ourselves? Well, I think I'm a pretty good person. By whose standard? Yours? Listen, if I compare myself to some of you in this room, I, I'll look pretty good. If you compare yourself to me, some of you may look really, really good. But listen, if we compare ourselves to this, we realize that we have all fallen short and we are dependent on God. The Bible says our righteousness is like filthy rags. It's, it's not any good compared to his. Are we a distracted people? I'll go ahead and answer for you, yes. Yes, we're a distracted people. 
was going to lunch with a buddy of mine here from the church the other day, this last week, and I always tell you guys my, my, my driving stories. And we're leaving the church. We're in my car because I always like to drive. That's a control issue or something. But anyways, we're going down the road, and we're about to hang a left on bridge. And I got the green light. This car's got the green light. And this guy's, you know, darting across, coming towards the church. And both, you know, both hands on his phone, his elbows on the steering wheel. Like this, you know, driving a 4,000-pound truck. Isn't that smart? Anyways, he's doing this. And he's not anywhere close to me, but I just, the horn, I just wail on it. Southerners, you need to use your horn more. There's a reason why it's there. And it's not because you're trying to be rude. I, I was doing this guy a huge favor. My friend Don goes, whoa, still haven't overcome the whole, you know, road rage thing. And I'm like, no, no, no. I honked at that guy because that may save his life. That guy is so into himself. He's so distracted He's, you know, he's, his life must be much more valuable than mine because he doesn't worry if he smacks into me in his big old truck. And I did him a huge favor. We were so distracted to the detriment of not only ourselves, to, our other, to, to other people. We've become apathetic. We need to make sure we don't become that way. Brothers, sisters. So here's the thing. We have to assess, are we intentionally placing ourselves in an environment where we can respond and hear and feel God? We need to ask ourselves questions like, are we really looking for truth? Seriously, guys, are we, are we really looking for the bigger answers in life? We live in a culture nowadays, you know, no longer do we enjoy, last night I was watching 2001 A Space Odyssey, great movie, one of the greatest films of all time. Some people think it's boring. I think it's absolutely beautiful and deep and it's got all these profound symbolisms and great art and it was done 60 years ago but still looks absolutely fantastic. Watching it last night, and, and, but we live in a time nowadays to where like, we don't wanna watch a three hour movie about like space and exploration and humans. We wanna watch like 20 second videos of people like cutting celery and dancing. That's entertainment now, you know? Oh man, the new TikTok trend, celery dancing. Like, and we think that's like, that's deep. And we, we have become a group of people who don't even care about the bigger questions anymore. You know, art is no longer Chagall and Lichtenstein and stuff like that. Art is, again, now, 15-second videos of my husband when he sees me cutting celery. You know, and like, and that gets 43 million views. And we have become that society. And we need to ask ourselves, all joking aside, what is feeding us? What are we digging into? Who is digging into us? My God! Let me tell you something, this is not a political thing, but I wanna tell you something that's going on in the world today. So, so in China, they have a version of TikTok. It's not called TikTok, it's called something different. I should have looked it up. It's a different version. In, in TikTok, their, their version of TikTok in China, if you are under the age of 18, you're not, you're not allowed to look at anything that is not informational or educational. So in China, their version of TikTok, if you're under the age of 18, you can only see things on science and art history and biology or chemistry or engineering. So it has to be something that enriches the brain, right? And then the version that they made for the United States is the version that we have in the United States, TikTok, right? Celery dancing ladies, right? That, that's who, those are the influencers of, of, of our culture. And, and I'm proposing something that I, I think you really need to think about. If you talk to, to the number one job aspiration of children in China is astronaut. The number one job aspiration of a child in the United States? Influencer. Do, do you know what they understand over there that we don't understand in our culture? You don't, have to, you don't have to decimate a society with a nuclear bomb. You just create a cultural one. How does this tie in? Christian, be digging for the deeper answers. Life is more, hold on, life is more than 30 second clips with people acting like idiots in grocery stores. We need to be asking questions like, why am I here? What am I doing? What is my calling? What is the meaning of all of this? We are asleep at the wheel and it does not honor God. And it is impossible to hear from him if we are constantly distracted with nonsense, which begs the question, is my life intentional? Listen to me. We get one shot. You live one time, one time. What are you doing with it? 
We have the opportunity to pray, to talk to God. Corey, I'm too busy. You're too busy to talk to God. Tell me how else you're arrogant. Tell me, tell me how else you, tell me how important you are that we are too busy to talk to the creator God. We're too busy to read the word. I've never heard from God. Then you've never read your Bible. That we are involved in the church. The average Christian in the United States goes to church once a month. You know what? At this church, we do it a little bit better. I'm not kidding. We averaged it. We have people that come twice a month. 50% of the time. People that come to church 24 times a year. And man, that's my sacrifice. I love you guys, man. I love you so much. I love you so much that, that I am willing to, to hurt your feelings in order to somehow maybe provoke you to, to take this seriously. Amen. To minimize distractions, to cut some things out, to just be quiet sometimes. To turn off the radio, to turn off the television, to turn off the talking heads, to turn off all the nonsense and the static. Do you think Samuel could have heard the Lord if he had YouTube on while he was listening to God? Do you think Samuel could have heard God if he had six things going on at the same time? But he was quiet. That's why David said, be still, be still, and just know that he's God. God pursues all of us, and if we are positioned, if we will position ourselves to hear him, not only will we be saved from evil, we will be equipped and called to do something amazing in this life. Well, Corey, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. How is that amazing? What are you talking about? You are speaking into your children and that could ripple for generations and generations and generations. That's big. That's bigger than writing a book. That's bigger than being famous on you know, Facebook. That's, it's bigger than that. Don't believe the lies of society that that's insignificant. It's huge. If you've been called to be a father in this room, the, 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 I would say one of the fundamental reasons why society has degraded is the lack of good men. That we are called to step up and do that. And it's not these occasional sacrifices. Listen, being a Christian is a sacrifice, but it's more than that. It is our consistent obedience to God. That's what he wants. God loves you so much. He doesn't just want you for an hour and a half on Sunday. God wants you on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday. He wants to be involved in your work. He wants to be involved in how you raise your children. He wants to be involved in, in, in how you spend your money. He wants to be involved in what you're doing for the community because he loves you. He wants our, our, our consistent obedience, not just occasional sacrifice. And listen, if we will, if we will listen to him, if we will respond to him, he saves us from sin. He saves us from our own destructive nature. He saves us from ourselves. He saves us from selfishness. He provides for us how he sees fit. I don't believe in the prosperity gospel, but I believe that if we honor God with our lives, he's gonna take care of us the way that he sees is best for us. And we have to trust in that. And he empowers us to be what he wants us to be. God will not call you anywhere just to let you drown. God did not call for, for, for the Jewish people to go to the Red Sea just so they could be killed by, by, by the Egyptians. He parted the sea. He made a way. God doesn't call us somewhere just to let us down. So in, in the spirit of redundancy, and Corey already said this six times today, well, here's, here comes number seven, and I hope maybe this one clicks. You have to place yourself in a position to listen. You have to intentionally live your life to have an encounter with God. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven, for those who seek, you will find if we position ourselves to encounter God, I guarantee you, you will encounter God. And when we do, we have to respond with obedience, that we receive the unadulterated word of God and we deliver and live out the unadulterated word of God. And if we will do that, we are not alone. Man, I hope you guys hear me today. 
that, that, that it doesn't matter how bad the job gets. It doesn't matter how, how, how fractured the relationship is. It doesn't matter. If we will submit ourselves, if we will humble ourselves, God gives us the spirit that empowers us. Not only does it, does it produce the fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness, self-control, not only do those things start to come up in our life, but we also have gifts of the spirit given to us. Some of them very miraculous, but some of them quite practical, like the gift of wisdom, the gift of knowledge, the gift of discernment, the gift of faith, that we are given these things by God if we want these things to where we can live a life that honors him, blesses us, and blesses those who are in the proximity of us. Listen, obey, live empowered. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you are in this room and, and maybe you do not have a relationship with God, but you're searching, you're digging, you're looking. Up on my right, your left, we have Pastor Travis. He does all of our missions and our benevolence and, and um, outreach. If you have any questions for Travis, he, he, will, he will do his best to help you with those. Also on the right and left, we have men and women that would be uh, willing to pray with you if you need prayer requests for anything. And then the last thing is all the way around this room where we see a lamp on a table and on the majority of these pillars in the middle, there is bread and wine and that represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ, communion. Everyone is welcome to take communion. You'll just get that, go back to your seat. You can take that by yourself or with a loved, loved one or a friend. Everyone is welcome to do that as long as we have asked Jesus to forgive us of our sins. And if we will just listen to him, and intentionally place ourselves to hear him. I give you my word, God will empower you, God will use you, God will take care of you, but we have to live in obedience. Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you, God. Keep your hand on all of us in this room. Lord, there is such a confusing, loud, chaotic world out there. I pray, Lord, that as we go out, Lord, that we don't remain isolated from the world because we can't, but I just pray that we are insulated with your Holy Spirit so we can go out into the darkness and we can resonate the light. I pray, Lord, that you, you give us the, the desire to wanna to hear you. I pray that you give us the courage to obey you. And I pray, Lord, that you just give us the power to live out whatever calling you have for us. We love you, we thank you. Keep your hand on everyone in this room until we meet again, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you guys. You're welcome to help yourself.